good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you once again as we begin a brand new series, Dawning. Now, almost three years ago, in the summer of 2020, we found ourselves in 2 Peter chapter 1. It felt like we'd been doing Steadfast for a while at that point. We'd been going for a number of months. And now here we are, almost three years after that, over three years since we began exploring the Bible together on Monday nights, and it seemed like it was time to come back to Second Peter and look at chapter 2. Chapter 1 had all kinds of rich instruction from the apostles. He guides a church that he has helped to, to minister to over the years to think about what their calling as Christians looks like. And a key part of that is he wanted to be clear that as he gave them the instruction he did, as he talked about who Jesus was and is, that he wasn't just speculating, that he wasn't just theorizing or reading out of a textbook. He was talking about what he had witnessed himself. Right towards the end of that last series, we, we looked at verse 16, where Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we, we re, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, the transfiguration, he can say that when that happened, he was there. He saw it. And, and so what he's instructing the people about isn't just some weird, clever myth. But here's the thing. While that was true for him, and it was true for those who were around him, the other apostles and some of the other early followers of Jesus, there were many that didn't really know Jesus and yet wanted to claim authority. And so as we transition from chapter 1, where he's talking about this magnificent experience of seeing the transfiguration of the Father saying who it is that his son is, of encountering Moses and Elijah, all this that Peter experienced in his life, now he's going to turn to those who want to seize power, who want to claim to instruct the people of God. And yes, they do. They're not sneaking in just little bitty bits of difference. They're sneaking in huge false things that somehow seem appealing. I think it really boils down to this. The, the truth isn't as appealing oftentimes to us as a well-crafted deceit. And so while Peter was there with the truth, sounds so appetizing instead to chase after that deceit. I was reading the other day about Parmesan cheese, and this is going to sound a little cheesy to you to talk about this, but I didn't really know the background of Parmesan cheese. I, I, I knew that it was something that went really nicely on Italian food. It has a pretty sharp, pungent taste to it. But do you know the difference between Parmesan and Parmigiano. I didn't. But apparently it's more than just the fact that if it says Parmigiano on the label, it costs at least twice as much. I, I looked at Schnooks today and it actually costs almost exactly twice as much from the very same brand. So why would you pick Parmigiano over Parmesan? Well, it comes down to this. Parmigiano cheese, it's made in a particular region around Parmesan in Italy, and it has to follow a very strict set of production rules. All the food for the cows that produce the milk for the cheese 
have to has to be, come from that region. Not just the the milk, but the food going to the cows has to come from that region. They have to re receive a certain type of food. It can't be the cheap stuff that often livestock is fed. It has to be quality food. And then the actual process for producing the cheese is followed strictly. It has to happen in that region. It has to take place over a period of time. Often that cheese is aged for a year or more. All kinds of things that happen with certified imported, for us imported, Parmigiano. But when you go and you buy the shaker of Parmesan at the store, it's not that. It might taste sort of like that. It might look sort of like that. But it's a totally different cheese. And that's why the one costs less than the other. Now, that seems relatively straightforward. We're used to seeing different quality products at the store, but apparently counterfeiting Parmigiano has become a huge thing because the appeal of getting the authentic stuff for less is so attractive to people. And so people will go online to buy cheese and, and there's this extensive effort to counterfeit genuine imported Parmigiano. So for example, there's often this this outer core of wax that's placed around that cheese that has this pinpoint writing on it to identify that it's come authentically from Italy. And so the counterfeiters will put that on. It's gotten so bad that the cheese producers that are making this cheese in the same way they have for millennia now are embedding microchips into the shipments they make so that their cheese can be authenticated. Why all the trouble? Well, it really boils down to two things. One, the, the, fake counterfeit cheese, at least to the extent someone thinks they're getting the real thing, is incredibly appealing. It's cheaper. And it's a wonderful opportunity for those who counterfeit it to make a bunch of money. And so it really comes down to our desire for something that seems easier to get or cheaper to get that's going to satisfy our cravings and someone who wants to satisfy his or her own cravings by faking it. And that's true of cheese, but it's also true of false teachers. And so as we think about false teachers tonight, here's the thing that we need to ask God to help us with. They're not generally going to come out flamboyantly with a giant false teacher label on them. And even when we say a, a label like false teacher and we kind of get a picture of some of those really obvious false teachers, I don't think that's what Peter is going to be instructing us in primarily. It's the ones that are so good at counterfeiting the truth that without knowing where to look for the microchip and scanning it, you don't even know that you've gotten the fake cheese. So let's ask God that he would help us because he is the one who can authenticate his truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the truth of your word, for the, the healing power of your word, for the redemption we find in it. Lord, would you help us to cling to your truth and to flee the counterfeits? And tonight, Lord, as we think about these things, would you help us to see the places where maybe we've accidentally bought into the counterfeit cheese, where we've grabbed onto the things that aren't real because it seems appealing, it seems a little more accessible, a little cheaper in the sorts of costs that, that we wrestle with whether we want to pay because you call us to a life of holiness, you call us to a life of faithfulness. And yet in that you give us something so much richer than any counterfeit could ever be. Would you help us to be discerning tonight, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's dig right into what Peter says about counterfeits. We find that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, 
even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Who is it that Peter's talking about here? That, that's the thing that we really need to ask ourselves. And I don't think the question primarily needs to even be who is it that he has in mind in his immediate time period that's relevant. But Peter isn't really interested in only critiquing one particular false teacher or set of false teachers that existed in that time. He wants to give them a general principle to think about. And I think that's why we don't have those exact details. Because Peter knows there are going to be repeated false teachers over and over and over again. As we find ourselves in that dawning of Jesus' coming, that, that his light is in the world, and yet there's still plenty of darkness for people to hide in, there are going to be false teachers. And, and these false teachers are going to appear to be those whom are, they have everything right. They they appear to be saved. They appear to be part of the church. They appear to be in good standing. And yet Peter suggests here that they aren't. This isn't just someone who's a little mistaken, that we still look forward to seeing someday at the heavenly banquet when Jesus returns. These are people who put on the false front of salvation, who, who put on a sense that they are those who follow the master, who follow Jesus, and yet, in reality, have no interest in any such thing. They claim to be, but they are far, far from the truth. Key thing, though, in their claim, they really genuinely appear to be. And that's what I was alluding to right before we asked for God's guidance in prayer, because here's the thing. I, I think we think we have this down, that, that we know what false teachers look like, but that that we're going to spot them right away. And, and like I said, I, I say false teacher, and we immediately get that picture of the televangelist that that particularly irks us, some televangelist, or or maybe some church that you were at in the past and there was some teacher in it that you just knew was utterly wrong. And that's what we think of when we think of false teacher. But those aren't really the ones we need protection from most of the time, because we recognize those. What does Peter have in mind? Peter has in mind those whom we don't recognize, that, that we look at and we think this person seems solid. He, he's saying or she's saying all the things that I believe I feel good about. And all the time that false teacher is pulling us further and further and further away from the truth by grabbing onto the things that are appealing to us. Just like that cheese pulls us away because it appears cheaper than the genuine Parmigiano. And so we, we want it. And because we don't really know how to check for a counterfeit, we go ahead and put on our pizza and everything else and are, are unaware of the fact that we've bought into that that lie, into that, that deceit that just seems appealing but isn't. In the case of cheese, it's not really that big a deal, ultimately. Maybe it doesn't taste quite as good. But if you never had the real thing, I haven't tried the real thing as of right now. I'm curious to try it, but I haven't as far as I know. So I don't know that I'm missing out. I'm satisfied with the Parmesan I've eaten all my life. And so maybe I'm missing out on the ultimate flavor, but it doesn't ruin anything, at least unless I'm a Parmesan purist. However, when we're talking about God's word and we're talking about people who counterfeit the truth of God. We're not talking about simply having a little less flavor in our lives. We're talking about those who would take us and take us from something that is rich and flavorful and life-giving to something that's actually poisonous. I haven't just gotten a lesser cheese. I've gotten arsenic instead of cheese. 
That's what these false teachers do. And yet we are blissfully unaware that it's happening because sometimes we haven't really acquainted ourselves enough with the truth. Or we've allowed ourselves to get dulled to the truth so that we, we aren't ready to recognize it. And even as believers, even as we, we proclaim that, that Jesus holds on to those whom he's redeemed, yet we can still find ourselves consuming some of that poison and it taking the joy out of our lives and, and dimming the beauty of Jesus' love. And not just dimming it for us, but dimming our ability to shine it to others that haven't yet experienced it. This false teaching is being done in such a way that it's secret, that it just slips right in. And we see that over and over again. Paul talks about it in his letters. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, if you want to take a look there, Paul's referring to it. Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians. He refers to it over and over again. Why does he keep coming back to it? Because it happens over and over again. And if it happened over and over again while the apostles were still there, while those who, who actually had ministered with Jesus could say, there's a false teacher, there's a false teacher, how much more so would Satan love to exploit the fact that none of us today are eyewitnesses? Of course, he would love to do that, and he does do that. And so we need to be aware. Now, something we see over and over again in the scriptures is that many of these false teachers perpetuate a sense of division in the church. They're not just satisfied to, to turn people away from the truth. They want to create an us versus them mentality. There's us right over here, the, the chosen, the, the wise, the ones that really know the truth. And then there's them, those outside of that. That's how they operate and how they have always operated. We, we saw that last night was we were looking at the story of the Exodus and the different rebellions that happened in the book of Numbers. And for example, Korah and, and his followers, what are they doing? They're saying, we don't want to be with with them, Moses and, and those who surround Moses, because they're exploiting us. We, we're going to be the us that, that really knows what's going on and demands our rights. So often the false teachers of today do the very same. Take a look, for example, what Paul says in Titus chapter 3. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Division is a huge concern in the New Testament because it happens over and over and over again. These false teachers, what do they want to sell? What's the poison? They're going to split apart the body of Christ. And the more we split and the more we argue over the things that they split us over, the more that we become unaware of the actual poison seeping in because we're too busy fighting ourselves. Does this sound like today? Does this sound like our culture right now? I believe it sounds exactly like what we see, and we see it in our churches as, as we battle over those on the progressive side and the conservative side who are saying, we are the us that you should follow, and we're going to fix everything, and we need to battle those evil people on the other side who, who don't have the full truth. Doesn't that sound like exactly what we hear every single day on the news? Doesn't that sound like what we see seeping into more and more of the teaching in the church in this moment? We, we absorb that political mindset, and so we're focused on that. Things like Christian nationalism that have, have sprung up and, and try to, to baptize regular politics as the church. And what does it do? It cultivates division. It cultivates a sense that the things that really matter, the things that we're going to stand up for, the things that we need to defend— are actually the secular values of our country rather than the actual sacred values of the scriptures. 
even when they're legitimate in some sense. Just like saving money on cheese is a legitimate thing. What does it do? It, it starts to cause us to look in the wrong places, to follow the wrong people, and to start fighting our brothers and sisters in Christ as the people, oftentimes, who have very little interest in genuine faith, exploit us. We turn from the genuine to the counterfeit. And we do so because we think somehow we're going to get something out of it. Somehow it's going to help us. Somehow it's going to, to strengthen us. Again, very same thing that we saw last night. It, it keeps coming up over and over again in Scripture because this is a problem as old as as humanity itself. Going back to the, the very fall of our first parents, what's happened over and over again. We think somehow, somehow we can take a shortcut. Somehow we can grab onto something that's going to give us an advantage. And that well-crafted deceit from that very first one from the serpent to the very ones that are being uttered today in the name of Jesus. Every single one of them has an appeal to us that somehow seems to draw us in where the truth doesn't, because the truth is actually what God calls us to be and to do in the false, well-crafted deceits. Play to our ego, play to our desire for ease, play to our desire to get away with things that God doesn't want us to do. Plays to all those things. Satan's the ultimate con man. And these false teachers, they follow his mold over and over again. It would be discerning. And discerning starts with understanding our own basic impulse to grab onto the counterfeit because it appears so, so appealing in the moment. I think probably everyone here tonight has heard the phrase, I have a bridge to sell you if we're talking to someone and we think they're being gullible. But I don't think I'd ever heard the story of how the Brooklyn Bridge became the ultimate example of people being gullible. And I, I was reading about it, reading about a man by the name of George Parker. And he is known for having sold the Brooklyn Bridge, so to speak, not just once or twice, but many times over. He'd come and he'd have official looking documents and he'd catch someone who was looking for a way to make some money and he'd offer to sell them the bridge. Literally, that's where the phrase came from. He not only sold the bridge, he also sold Grant's tomb, posing as a descendant of Grant and, and various other landmarks. He'd do it in such a way that it looked relatively legitimate and it promised a lucrative end for the person who bought it. Numerous times, police had to, to remove people from the Brooklyn Bridge who were busy setting up toll booths because they thought they'd bought the bridge and they were going to make a fortune off this bridge. Key thing was he convinced folks that they could make money by buying this bridge and he was looking to sell it. And then he'd give them legitimate looking counterfeit papers that made them think that they'd made this wonderful purchase. And then they got caught holding on to the lie. That's what false teachers try to do to us too. They, they tell us they're going to sell us the Brooklyn Bridge of theological truth because what's it going to do? It's going to speak to our own biases. It's going to speak to our own preferences. It's going to speak to the things that scare us by offering security in that us versus them division. Oh, we'll get those bad people that scare me. Are they really bad people? Sometimes we actually are afraid of what other people are doing that's genuinely sinful. And yet the us versus them mentality that these false teachers foster, it becomes, I'm angry at those people rather than those are people who are fallen into sin, maybe a different sin than me, but falling into sin just like me as a sinner that need Jesus just as much as I do. And notice what happens when false teachers succeed in that. They, they not only cause us to start going off the rails, 
but then we lose that impulse to actually share the hope of Jesus with the people they've turned us against. Why? Why do they do this? Well, they're driven by greed, and so are we. That's what we find in verse 2. Peter says, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their degree they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You see, why are they doing this? They're doing it out of greed. Peter says that explicitly, because what happens when they're false teachers that are able to cultivate a following where people say, well, this teacher, he, he offers discount teaching. Now I can follow Jesus and I can feel important, more important than if I'm following that apostle Peter or, or someone who's actually teaching the truth of scripture today. I, I can get a better deal on it. And guess what? It allows me to actually cultivate the things that I want to cultivate in myself. The anger towards people that are not like me, that the outrage towards people who actually demand that I conform to scripture. I, I can do it all at once, feel really good about it. So it's feeding my greed for having a life that's easy in the way I want it. And it's feeding that false teacher's greed then because people say, hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I'm going to follow this guy. Now, sometimes it's outright greed. Sometimes it's things like the prosperity gospel. And that's, I think, for today, what many of us think about in a situation like this. Oh, those prosperity gospel teachers. But again, let's not jump only there because they're easy to spot for most of us, especially if you've been around the church for a while and you've read God's word for a while. We learn pretty quickly that the gospel doesn't promise a life of ease that doesn't promise health and wealth in, in this lifetime. It often promises the opposite of persecution, of struggle, as we follow Jesus in a world that doesn't understand him. And so we can see, oh, this person's promising if you just give enough money to the church, then you're going to have an easy life. Well, clearly a false teacher. But Peter's talking about the ones that slip in secretly, the ones who just cultivate our own preferences, who, who have the exterior surface of orthodox teaching. They seem to know the Bible really well, and they're teaching it seemingly really well, and yet they're cultivating division in the church. They're cultivating an anger over the things that, that our news broadcasters say we should be angry about rather than the things that God says we should be angry about. Those who, who minimize clear parts of Christian teaching and Christian liberty and Christian holiness in exchange for focusing on only the parts we want to focus on. That's where false prophets have always appealed. As, as commentators looking at this passage have noted, if we just go back to the Old Testament and we look at, at the Old Testament prophets, any of them, take your pick, what are they saying over and over and over again? Just like that delivery that Alexa just wanted to let me know about, it comes so easily delivered, that false teaching. What's that false teaching about? That false teaching is a false teaching that says that things will be easier for me. Delivered overnight on Prime, no problem. It'll be here tomorrow. And, and yet what God calls us to is something harder. It causes us to have to wait. I go right past that product listing oftentimes that, that has ships in three or four weeks. No, I want the one that's coming overnight. Sometimes we have to take the harder one. Now, at times God does just abundantly bless us and things actually go smoothly and we say, wow, isn't this nice? And it doesn't mean that we should authenticate things by how much suffering there is. Sometimes false teachers use that too. The key thing is we authenticate by God's word. They, they, they were checking that cheese with microchips, but God's given us something even better. He's given us his word. And when we look at his word and we see what's in it, 
And we actually say, well, I, I'm really angry about this situation. I've been told by this teacher that I should be angry at these people, or I should focus on this thing. We should ask, is it the same emphasis that God has? Is that where God keeps his focus? Is that what comes up over and over again in scripture? Or is it the sort of thing that comes over and up over and over again in our society instead? Take a look at what John writes in 1 John 4, verse 5. He says, they, the false teachers, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Here's the test that we should ask over and over again. When I'm looking at someone to follow, when I'm listening to their teaching, or when I'm giving out biblical teaching out of my own mouth, am I sounding more like the world, or am I sounding more like God? Are they sounding more like the world, or more like God? And we really need to press ourselves on that, because oftentimes, the funny thing is with that question, my first answer will be, well, it sounds like it's from the very lips of God. And what it is, is just stoking those parts of our biases and our ego that we want to hear. How do we really answer that question? We go to God's word. We say, does this emphasis have that level of importance in God's word? So what God really wants us to focus on. And sometimes we can get to it really quickly. If, it, if part of the false teaching, like we see so often today, is hate this group of people. Oppose not just the, the things they're doing, the sin they're doing, the teachings they're teaching that are false, but, but hate the people. Don't bother with them. You don't need to evangelize them. Just get them out of the way. They're the enemy. We, we know we've already gone off the rails because we're not following Jesus. What does Jesus do? He goes to the people who are misled, but genuinely want to follow him. He shares the gospel. He shares the hope of the gospel with them. We shouldn't judge the way that the world does. Yes, we're called to holiness and to stand on truth, but it doesn't look like the way that the world stands on quote-unquote truth. False teachers obscure that by, by dimming us to it, by making it sound so much easier and so much more wonderful that our senses aren't ready to recognize how far they've taken us from the goodness of God's word, and we get further and further away from it. Yesterday, getting ready for our Palm Sunday service, I did a big, important job. I, I replaced the refrigerator light bulb at our church. It had been out for a very long time, and you have a refrigerator. Everyone likes to go in there and get a bottle of water when they come into the church building. That's a great thing, and thankfully, you can see those pretty clearly. But when a light bulb is out in a refrigerator, have you ever noticed how hard it is to find exactly what you want, especially if it's not one of the big, obvious things? So you start to miss some of the good stuff in the refrigerator doesn't look as appealing, and it's harder to find the things in it that are appealing. False teachers are, are like people sneaking around putting broken light bulbs in the refrigerator of God's truth. Because it does two things that are terribly damaging. First, it makes it hard for us to access the really wonderful refreshment of God's word. We can still find the bottles of water, so we don't even realize that we're missing out on all the wonderful special treats that are tucked away in there for us. All the joy that we find in the freedom that we have in Jesus. It, it's just sort of lost in the darkness of the background. But the other problem is when we invite guests over and they look in the refrigerator of our lives and they're looking for God's truth, what do they find? Well, they see the bottles of water, but it just looks dirty and dingy and it doesn't look appealing. And that's what false teachers do to our lives. Jesus is the lamp that shines in the darkness. His word is the lamp that shines in the darkness. We don't want to be lampshades. We want to be those who carry that lamp into the world. As Jesus' light dawns more and more, as we anticipate his return, may we be those who shine his light. 
and not the light of the false teachers. Would you pray with me, please? Father, would you give us a spirit of discernment? Would you help us to know your word so well that we immediately can spot those who would import the little secret sorts of false teaching that, that seem to actually appeal. We see still the bottles of water of the basic gospel, and we don't even realize what's being lost. We don't realize how the, the light bulb has been dimmed. We don't realize that we're eating the counterfeit and not the real thing. Would you help us to, to be those who are so aware of your truth and have your Holy Spirit working in us that we would see the truth and cling to the truth and share the truth, that we would shine the only light that truly satisfies into this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you. We're talking about the truth of Jesus and what he has done for us and, and, and how he is the one who is authentically true. And unlike the false teachers, he took the hard road and he took the unpopular road, the road that didn't fit worldly wisdom. And that's what we remember on Holy Week. Here we are in Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, we're going to be thinking about the new commandment Jesus gives to love one another and how he demonstrated that on the cross. So I hope you'll join us in person or online at 7 p.m. this very Thursday. Please be there. It'll be a very, very special time meditating on Jesus's love. And then don't just stop there. Come back on Easter again in person or online, 5.30 p.m. You can have an early Easter dinner and then join us or a late Easter dinner or an Easter luncheon. Whatever your family likes to do, do that and then come and join us at 5.30 p.m. as we celebrate that Jesus's love demonstrated on the cross doesn't stop with the cross, doesn't stop with his death, but stops with the fact that he is alive today. I sure appreciate your help in sharing the good news that we proclaim as Christians together. So would you please invite someone to Easter service or Monday, Thursday? Better yet, invite them to both. It really will make a difference if you do that inviting. We can put up all the ads we want. We can have all the information on our website. But you inviting someone who maybe wasn't planning to go to church is exactly the way it really happens. So please do that. And please also consider sharing this video. Maybe you know people who have been caught up in false teaching and they're not seeing the light of Jesus. Sharing this video, liking this video, sharing comments on it, that really does make a difference. Why is this important? Because God is going to judge, but he offers rescue from that fate of being tossed away from him. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Peter, he gets right into it. He's talking about the fire and brimstone and it's important that we, we don't lose sight of that. It's not because we should spend all our time in fire and brimstone, but we look at that and we realize what Jesus has done for us on Easter. So please make plans Monday, Thursday, back on Easter, and then join me on Monday night as we think about the rescue we find in Jesus. If there's any way I can be praying for you, you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can write us at 833-356-4032 or leave a comment in the comments below. It's always a delight to pray with you and for you. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed Holy Week, and I hope to see you on Thursday night.